Hello, my name is Eva, and today we shall explore the historical background for that famous American song, the Battle Hymn of the Republic. This song, used by presidents and activists alike, is one of the best remembered and most recognizable songs from the 19th century. It was written in 1861 by Julia Ward Howe, and I am going to start this podcast by delving a little into the life of this author to get an impression of which experiences informed her life and her writing. Julia Ward, as she was then, was born in New York City in 1819, daughter of a wealthy New York stockbroker and a poet mother of quiet renown. The family included seven children who all enjoyed an active social life in the higher echelons of New York society. But at the death of her mother in 1824, Julia Ward's father retreated into strict Calvinist existence, banning theatres, books and many activities from his own and his children's lives. Julia was educated at home, where she read ferociously all the books at hand, and when her elder brother returned from his travels in Europe, he brought home a private library to which he gave Julia access, and which allowed her, amongst other things, to read even more and to teach herself five languages, and it started her on her own quest to write plays and novels. In 1841, Julia travelled to Boston for an extended stay with family friends, and it was on this occasion that she met her future husband, Samuel Gridley Howe. While Samuel Howe initially paid attention to Julia's sister, Louisa, it was Julia to whom he eventually turned and proposed marriage. Samuel and Julia had much in common. Both were well-read and interested themselves in social issues concerning education and justice. The two were married in 1843, with Julia believing that she had found a soulmate with whom she could fight injustice and discuss her literary efforts. But marriage to Samuel Howe turned out to be quite another story, for Julia's husband was a man of contradictions. He was vocal in his demands for the abolition of slavery. He was a fierce advocate for people with disabilities and would later found a highly successful school for the blind. But in terms of equality between men and women, he was surprisingly conservative about women's roles in general and his own wife in particular. He absolutely and fully expected Julia to be content with the sphere of the home and did much to prevent her creative outlets. Julia wrote extensively dramas, plays, stories, but when she did publish, it was done anonymously 
all under a man's pseudonym, as many women did in that age, like Georges Saint in France and later George Eliot in England. In the marriage between Julia and Samuel, the social contradictions of the day, and indeed of that wider world, seemed to play out on their own small marital stage. Samuel Howe had progressive views on race equality and social advancement for the disabled, but his views on women, as mentioned, were decidedly not progressive, though he would have viewed himself as a modernist. As for Julia Ward Howe, she was an early and very progressive advocate for women's suffrage in the home and in society. But her views on class and race were certainly not as progressive as her husband's, though she too would become known as an abolitionist and a vocal advocate for the downtrodden. And certainly, her focus on those who were normally overlooked might go some way in explaining her writing stirring lyrics to galvanize those who were otherwise quieted and pushed aside in society. Julia's work, though published anonymously, was well regarded amongst her own circle of friends, and by 1860, Julia had earned a very hard-won reputation as an excellent writer and orator on social issues. This led her and her husband to come into contact with several influential people of the day, and it was on a visit to the White House in 1861 to greet Abraham Lincoln that Julia Ward Howe was inspired to write the now-famous song, The Battle Hymn of the Republic. According to her later biography, written by her children, Julia was invited to attend the review of the 2nd Battalion of the Massachusetts Militia, known as the Tiger Battalion, during her stay in Washington. As the Tiger Battalion marched, they loudly sang a marching song known as John Brown's Body. This was a newer song set to a very old tune the same tune that we today associate with the Battle Hymn of the Republic. John Brown's Body was a popular song amongst Union soldiers, and it was based on a very old hymn from the 18th century, with roots in religious get-togethers on the American frontier. With it being a frontier song in the early American West, it is unsurprising that the hallmarks of different influences can be heard throughout that tune. If you are even slightly familiar with Swedish Lutheran hymns, as I am, you might hear familiar notes throughout that tune, while others might recognise Scottish music of the late 18th century, and others might hear roots from old black spirituals, especially in the chorus. It is not unreasonable to conclude, as indeed many scholars do, that the tune itself is a product of many influences, which stem from the lived experiences of those early frontier people. But while the uplifting marching tune stayed more or less the same for centuries, the lyrics of the song changed down the line 
and the lyrics had, by the 19th century, become decidedly more prosaic with words about fighting and kissing girls. According to a 19th century rumour, the words to the song of John Brown's body were composed by several Union soldiers, who were not only referring to the abolitionist John Brown, but also to one of their own sergeants, also named John Brown. Hence, the rather rude, rough and irreverent tone in the lyrics of a song that at one point had been a serious religious marching hymn. And so, on the 18th of November, 1861, as Julia and her friend, the author James Freeman Clark, listened to the Tiger Battalion singing John Brown's Body, Clark is supposed to have leaned over to Julia and suggested, Why do you not write some good words for that stirring tune? Julia is supposed to have nodded and then took to this task with gusto. According to Julia, in her later memoirs, she went to bed and then pulled herself out of her bed in the early hours of the 19th of November, 1861, to pen the words. Or as she herself recalled it, I went to bed that night as usual and slept quite soundly. But then I awoke in the grey of the morning twilight, and as I lay waiting for the dawn, the long lines of the desired poem began to twine themselves in my mind. Having thought out all the stanzas, I said to myself, I must get up and write these verses down, lest I fall asleep again and forget them. Such is the story told of how the battle hymn of the Republic was written. Now, one might cautiously assume that the lyrics were perhaps further embellished between that November night and their first publication in February 1862, when all six verses of the hymn were published on the front page of the magazine The Atlantic Monthly. From there, the song gained a wider audience with people who were not previously acquainted with the very military version, and the song, with its new lyrics, quickly gained traction with civilians and soldiers alike, who were all drawn to the patriotic leaning of the verses in which the fate of the oppressors was closely linked to the causes of the American Civil War and the final judgment of those who would do evil unto others was penned out as a righteous punishment. In this, the Battle Hymn of the Republic became a rallying cry for the Union movement against the Confederate in the Civil War, which had broken out only a year before. So the Battle Hymn of the Republic was actually penned after the outbreak of war. The tune was known in the southern states, but for its association with the Union movement, it was soon supplanted by other songs in the South but after the war, it once again came to the fore in all America. And the song has maintained a huge popularity in the military and civilian world and has been used in a variety of arenas. The lyrics are said to be the inspiration for the title of John Steinbeck's influential novel The Grapes of Wrath, 
taken from the hymn's first verse. And the battle hymn of the Republic was sung in full at the funeral of Winston Churchill in 1965. The lyrics were also regularly used and quoted by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., notably in his sermon, I Have Been to the Mountaintop, a sermon he delivered on April the 3rd, 1968, one day before his assassination. It is so interesting to me to note how this hymn has long transcended its original religious context and purpose, because in Europe you can hear the chorus of glory, glory, hallelujah, sung with absolute gusto by football fans and activists who campaign against the unlawful displacement of peoples have also been known to sing this tune. It has been cited in all manner of films, from Frankenstein Jr. to the more serious The Virginian. It is a song, then, that appeals to those who are passionate in what they believe, and Julia Ward Howe, who lived through her own restless time in history, was able to put in words in 1861 such sentiments that those who campaign in our time still find these sentiments relevant. It is used, this hymn, by people on both sides of cultural, political and philosophical divides so that it gains importance from the meaning and the context each group gives this hymn. And just to bring it back to Julia Ward Howe herself. The song brought her professional recognition on a national scale and on such a scale that her husband could no longer effectively prevent her from having a life outside of the home. And by 1868, Julia was a regular figure at lectures and talks on women's suffrage. For her too, the song meant winning over those who would keep her down. I hope you liked this episode. If you do, please leave a like or tell your friends about this podcast. Until next time, which will be in a fortnight, I have been Eva and thanks so much for listening. They have built him an altar in the evening dews and damps. I can read his righteous sentence by the dim and flame.